Hello, this is Karen Griffin introducing Space to Be's podcast on people and performance, leadership and love. Conversations with leaders, practitioners, experts, authors, and anyone with extensive experience and good insight into the world of work in the 21st century. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Anna Dianova, a seasoned HR business leader, having worked for British American Tobacco, Kraft Foods, Mondelez International, and currently as VP for PepsiCo in Europe. Whilst Anna can traverse many subjects, today she's going to talk to us about collaboration overload. Anna, it's wonderful to have you with us today. Hi, Karen. Pleased to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. So collaboration. This is a word that has received much focus in the last 10 years in business and across all sectors. Shall we start first with asking you to give us your definition of what you think good collaboration looks like? Um, to me, collaboration is uh, any act really of working together with another person or a group of people to produce something, to, to create something. And yeah. uh, it can be in person, virtual, uh, synchronous, asynchronous, as the situation requires. Fantastic. And, and in terms of the good collaboration, yeah, what it looks like, there are of course, different ways to create collaborative uh, workplaces, but typically they would share the same key characteristics. So in my opinion, one of them would be psychological safety and belonging. So people need to be, to feel seen, heard, uh, to experience uh, speaking up as safe in yeah. this workplace and uh, feel free to share their thoughts, yeah? Then it's um, about efficient processes and tools um, for collaboration to get the work done. So uh, it's how the meetings are run, what are the team routines, what are collaboration platforms that the teams are using. So it's this aspect. And another key trait would be uh, actually mindset and skills of people yeah, yes. who are engaged in the collaboration. So they need to have the right mindset and the right uh, skill set. So it's yep. valuing perspective of another person, for example, believing in the power of the team, that uh, many of us is better than one of us. Yeah, It's listening, it's showing respect, uh, maintaining effective communication. So this would be, in a nutshell, wow. what a collaborative workplace looks like to me. There's a lot there, isn't there? And uh, all extremely rich, so thank you. So in your experience, what type of initiatives help build these good collaborative capabilities? Um, I think anything that um, creates stronger teams, that facilitates uh, trust in the team, uh, bonding, that would be uh, number one. Yeah. Um, also, how we build teams here, yeah, the more diverse teams uh, there are here, yeah, the more diverse perspectives we bring, uh, the more it might be more challenging for collaboration, but... Uh, uh, it will end up being more productive. So I think that um, educating people which collaboration methods uh, are appropriate for which type of work, yeah? Yeah. And when things can be done on email, uh, when it should be done via meeting, how many people you should invite, who you need to be involved, to involve, who you need to involve, um, who you need to align with, uh, etc. So this would be also uh, important. 
Yeah, it sounds um, almost like a craft. There's a definite process there and we need to be mindfully engaging with how we're going to be collaborative. Yes, so I, I, I believe uh, I believe really in the intentionality behind collaboration. I think that the more intentional we can be about the purpose we are pursuing through this collaboration and the more intentional and choiceful we are about who we collaborate with and uh, what methods and tools we deploy, um, the more productive we will be eventually. Great. So today's topic then is about the overload of collaboration. Yes. <laughs> and it certainly sounds like the businesses you've been in have built these capabilities well and integrated the collaborative attitude and practice into daily working life. But at what point do you think it can become a problem? Uh, yeah, that, that's a very good point. Uh, I think that, yes, uh, starting, let's say, the businesses I have been part of, uh, they really thrive on collaboration. And uh, especially the function, HR as a function, uh, is expected to be uh, very collaborative. Uh, plus uh, international roles, obviously, have a larger collaborative footprint. Um, I think that in recent years, we see this uh, perpetual move towards greater collaboration in all businesses. Uh, the world is getting increasingly more connected. Uh, everything is more instant. Um, and there is uh, the access to information is very fast. So uh, that is why I think that uh, no matter which business you are in, I think that the collaborative demand yeah, and your, the fight for your attention uh, uh, intensifies. Yeah. So... Uh, Plus, obviously, uh, in, during the pandemic, uh, a lot of the things that we used to do uh, in, in the in-person environment, we had to transition them to the virtual environment, which led to collaborative overload for some of us, mm -hmm. because uh, it makes us more tired, obviously. Yeah? And uh, I mean, there is a lot of research that shows also that, for example, the commute time that people gained back as a result of not going to the yeah. office uh, often was reinvested into more and more Zoom meetings, yeah? yes. uh, thus increasing the overload. Uh, plus, uh, another trend I, th I think that plays into that area is uh, various efficiency measures yeah, that companies are introducing. So, for instance, if you are pursuing efficiency and doing, getting more work done with uh, fewer resources, then uh, the collaborative pressure on the uh, people in the new structure obviously increases, yeah, because they are supposed to uh, interact with many people where previously they could have interacted with just one person to get things done. Yes. And this, uh, this requires more and more collaboration. Interesting. And I think even just hearing to all, hearing, listening to all of that, it's, I think there's going to be more and more research done on this over the next few years, because everything you've just described there is extreme, extremely real. Um, words that stand out for me are people fighting for your attention, the virtual aspect of our working lives these days and efficiency measures. And it's almost becoming the perfect storm, efficiency measures, meaning there's probably less people in the structure and therefore it's creating extra um, comms requirements, which puts more pressure on the people that are left in, a, in a, any given structure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and any um, change intervention and the speed of change is also increasing. Companies are transforming busily 
and any transformational change effort requires engaging masses of people, yeah. uh, communicating a lot with leaders, with employees, uh, following up, involving various stakeholders, and yeah. this uh, goes on and on. So collaboration is very connected to the practice of change leadership. And you know, we, we can't really lead change without being collaborative, arguably. Yeah, I, I would uh, totally agree with this. Um, yeah. I think that this is definitely, collaboration is one of the huge enablers for any change to yeah. take root. So, well, thank you for highlighting these challenges for us. Um, for any business on their way to strengthening their collaborative approaches, I'm sure they're going to be really interested in hearing everything that you've just said. Um, so in your view, how do we prevent collaboration overload? Because you've certainly got ex great experience of it, the good parts, the less good. So you must, freedom to come on this podcast today, you've obviously done some thinking around what can we do about this? Yeah, I think that here um, I would like to reference um, a great book yeah, by uh, Rob Cross, Beyond uh, Collaboration Overload. And there was an article recently written also, he was interviewed uh, and he was talking about this book. And uh, as I was reading uh, through his four things, yeah, how to, four behaviors that people who tend to fight collaborative overload well, they do them consistently. Uh, I felt that they really, really resonated with me. So uh, I link my, uh, my own practices probably to these four areas. Yeah. So yes. basically what Rob argues is that there is no single thing that can solve collaborative overload. And uh, I really agree with this. I think that there is no magic solution that, uh, that is good for everyone and will work in every set of circumstances. So rather it's about three, four things that you do consistently over time. And uh, that's how you um, get your collaboration footprint under control, so to say. So I think that uh, one of them, uh, firstly, is really awareness of your own tendencies, uh, why you are jumping into a collaboration. Uh, because many of us, we tend to think that it's imposed on us. Yeah, The collaboration is imposed on us by someone else. Uh, so, and we feel obligated to jump in and to collaborate. Yeah. And um, uh, Rob argues, and I really see this in the organizational life every day, that sometimes we, often times, yeah, we jump into collaboration for some intrinsic motives and we are not always aware of them even. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we have the need for control. Uh, sometimes we have fear of missing out. We, uh, uh, we are afraid to let go. Yeah, maybe we don't trust, we don't empower our teams. Yeah. Um, or we need uh, achievement, we need recognition. So um, these are some of the motives that make us uh, enter into collaboration. And uh, I think that if we are very mindful about our motives, yeah, what purpose do I yeah. pursue? Why is it important for me to be in this collaborative relationship or interaction? That's then uh, this uh, potentially this could be uh, like a little clue, yeah, how we can optimize, because we might not need to be where we are yeah. trying to be. Yeah, <laughs> we could say no. Yeah, we could say no. We could we'll say delegate. No. And, and sometimes uh, we need to give ourselves permission to say no, mm -hmm. uh, and we need to empower ourselves and others to say that, hey, I will only prioritize the interactions or the meetings where I can really make an impact. 
I will not nice. just go because I'm invited. Yeah. So maybe I'll interrupt this default tendency to accept every meeting invitation that is extended to me. And I will filter them, prioritize them using my own system. That's great. I remember before you go on to the other um, ideas that you have there. Um, last time I was in-house in organizational life, um, there was a senior director who used to attend these collaborative meetings but he would have sent a note round beforehand saying that he will only be attending for the first three agenda items because they're the only ones that relate to him. So he was almost ahead of the curve, I think, in terms of being really aware of how time can be wasted and energy, of course. Yes, yes. I think that, um, however, I would, I would need to make a disclaimer here. I think that it's probably still more of a privilege of uh, more senior leaders to do that yeah and sometimes what i also encounter organizationally is that more junior employees um, it's more difficult for them to give themselves this permission yeah True. especially if uh, if they are pulled into collaboration by somebody more senior in the organizational hierarchy so here i would say leader awareness of this uh, how much of a collaborative overload that they can create for others Yes. through their action is really very, very important. Okay. And this is what, uh, so any organization or team that aspires to fight collaborative overload, I would definitely recommend observing leader behavior, surfacing these uh, behaviors that uh, encourage perhaps unnecessary and non-valuating collaboration and uh, finding a way to, uh, to discourage that yeah, and to confront that. Yeah. Great. To call them out. Yeah. So was that one, your second one? So we've had, so we do a few things consistently. The first one we've said was, let's be aware of our own tendencies. We've now rolled into, be, you know, let's observe leadership behavior and make, making sure that leaders aren't encouraging unnecessary collaboration. Yeah. What else have you got for us, Anna? Um, I think that, um, and this is very individual again for everyone, depending on the industry you're in and the role you're in, but it's, it's really structuring your work. Yeah, structuring your work to, to remove um, unproductive collaboration. And for some of us, it may be some filters, yeah, decision-making, how we decide who we interact with, who we invite, or which invitations we accept, uh, which forums are important for us, where we seek input of how many people, yeah? Yes. I'm a big believer in, uh, uh, let's say, managing your calendar very uh, methodically, systematically, and even visually, yeah, because you can color the various engagements and um, I was uh, able yeah to protect some of the very important time of the day for me for instance when I need to do a school run yeah or when I need to have some focus time for deep thinking yes. or, or for a workout by consistently booking it in the calendar yeah yeah or intentionally reducing the zoom load yeah so uh, for example I, I really think that when my zoom load throughout the day exceeds six hours yes uh, i stop being productive yeah? yeah so as much as possible i try to to keep it to six hours it's not always possible but um if steady state yeah in a job where it's not a new role for example but i have been in it for for quite some time and yes. uh, i have a network built uh, and key forums established and uh, if i'm able to maintain this uh virtual meetings load to under six hours a day, then uh, it's, uh, yes, it makes a, a big difference, a, a big impact on my well-being. Yeah, your resilience, yeah, keeping that exactly. going. Yeah, really good point. 
Um, so yeah, so this is structuring work, structuring work to remove unproductive collaboration, setting healthy boundaries, yes. and uh, uh, really uh, adopting this mindset that being permanently busy in back-to-back -back interactions and meetings is not necessarily being more productive yeah, and getting more done. Absolutely. I often talk about white, having white space in your diary to do that creative thinking, to do the strategic work that you rarely get round to mm -hmm. and also not speaking to people yeah it, you know work isn't doesn't have to always be about engaging verbally with, with other people that's not necessarily where it all gets done yeah. thank you some really useful pointers there Anna so if we were to put some context around this you know we're all living in this post-pandemic era and business life is as challenging as ever and collaboration at the moment is often being seen as a solution so what you've outlined here is that you agree that this is still the case, but in order for it to be effective, we need to take into account some of those ideas that you've just summarised so well for us. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about how you personally manage your collaboration workload. Um, I think you've, you've given one hint away there, which is where possible, six hours a day maximum in the diary. And also I'm loving the idea of colour coding your diary as well. That's, that sounds uh, useful. Are there any other hot tips for us? Um, there are probably uh, maybe a couple more things. Um, and uh, I think Rob also um, mentioned that in the article I referenced earlier, it's this, um, the networking, yeah? So how you network, how you build your network, which goes hand in hand with collaboration. And um, I think that uh, he talks about uh, meaningful network versus big network. Yeah, so it's, it's really, it goes back to the point of intentionality. So building your network uh, in an intentional way and making sure that it's structurally diverse. Yeah, so you probably end up maybe reaching out and talking uh, to fewer people, but you are able to really nurture that network and get the breadth and wealth of perspectives that you need to eventually pull yourself into the direction of your goals and developing new capabilities. So this, uh, this concept, uh, I also try to embrace this uh, meaningful network versus big network. And how do I make sure that I do have all the perspectives I may need in my job yeah. uh, while keeping it manageable, uh, mm -hmm. the network of people I have to interact with on a consistent basis. And I think that overall, I would uh, just as the last thing, I would say that your overall um, well-being habits uh, also can be fundamental in how you tackle the collaborative overload because they fuel our resilience yeah, and they also create the capacity in our mind to take in new things, including new inputs from others, yeah, uh, from communication, from relationships. So I would say that this uh, building a virtuous cycle in your day yeah, and uh, in every day of your life, how you replenish your energy yeah, yes. and uh, create these healthy habits throughout the day, this will um, naturally uh, flow into more productive collaboration and uh, will allow you to fight the overload more efficiently. So I, uh, I'm a great believer in this. I see a direct impact between, for example, if I'm able to do my exercise boost yeah, or a bike ride throughout the day, yeah. then uh, I will end up being much more productive somehow in all other areas of my totally. life and work. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's, it's been proven many times, hasn't it? Yeah. 
So what all very rich conversation. So thank you, Anna. And um, what I'm also loving is how everything is so connected. So we've started out talking about collaboration and the risks of it, i.e. And, and how actually, therefore, we're relying on really good networking. What does that look like? Ensuring that um, our change agendas and our change strategies, knowing that we're going to draw on collaboration, are somehow intertwined into this with this awareness. Resilience, you've mentioned several times, and you said energy. I've, I've written down energy management. It's not about time management. It's energy management, isn't it? Yes, so, and energy management could be a beautiful topic for a separate podcast, podcast between, because it's... Um, Okay. Energy management could be a separate topic for a podcast because it enables so much in our lives. Absolutely. Well, we'll definitely invite you back because that would fit nicely in our resilience series. We've, we've done two already, so we can perhaps have a three or four of us talking about energy management later on in the year. I'd be delighted to. So thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>